We'll continue where the scripture reading left off. Exodus 15, verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where was twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. It looks like here we have an oasis. And by definition, an oasis is found in a dry place, a dry wilderness. It's a lush spot in the desert with an underground, unseen water source. In a figurative sense, an oasis is a place to which we escape from the hectic ways of life. And in that sense, this is an oasis. We step out of the world on the Lord's day into the house of God or into honoring the Lord throughout his day and are refreshed in our spirits and in our souls. At home, we may have a spot of refuge, whether it be a closet, if we take Jesus literally, or any spot or place, any time of day, we, we go to the Lord to be refreshed in our souls. The children of Israel were on a journey to what they knew as the promised land, or what we know as the promised land. It was a promised land because it was promised to be a better land than the land of Egypt from where they had been delivered. And they had been told that the land in Deuteronomy where we read, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's not like the land of Egypt from whence ye came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs, but the land whither they go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh the water of the rain of heaven. And so it's a land, and it is a fertile land uh, still, but when they came out of that dry barren land of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness, they, they were promised that their destination uh, would be a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills. That was a land worth journeying to. And that, that was their, their hope and their expectation. We heard Friday night that they were on a journey, and they were. It began with the, the Passover, where uh, the Lord established a, a, a rite that would be observed throughout their generation. They took that sacrificial lamb and applied its blood to the doorposts and the littles of where they resided. And that night, when the uh, eldest in every home of Egypt, even to the uh, beasts of the field, was, were slain, the children of Israel were spared. That uh, death grip passed over the homes of the children of Israel. And so they were told it would be a day of remembrance. And it was, and it still is. It still is celebrated by Jewish people all over the world. God led them through the wilderness of the Red Sea as they escaped that land of Egypt in the, about midnight when the uh, death occurred. They 
were prepared and escaped through the wilderness by the Red Sea. And we're told there as they approached the Red Sea and were threatened by the Egyptian army that had decided to pursue them to stand still, for ye shall see the salvation of God. They did stand still in that pillar of the cloud that had guided them from that Passover experience to this point shifted behind them and became darkness to the Egyptian army, but was light to the children of Israel. And God told Moses to stretch forth his rod, which he did, and the sea, the Red Sea, was divided. And we read in the Psalms that he made the waters stand up as a heap. And in Exodus, it became a wall on either side. And they went through or went across on dry ground, the Egyptian army, a saying to do the same, was drowned. So it was a great victory, and Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Then in Exodus 15, you heard the last portion of what's called the Song of Moses, a song of deliverance. The people were excited. Uh, by what God had done. And in that uh, song of Moses, we, we heard, we sing. God gives us a reason to sing. Well, Moses probably couldn't sing like Ashley, but he could sing. And God gave him a reason to sing and gave the reason for the children of Israel to sing. He sang, The Lord is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. He also said, Who is like unto, the, uh, unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You, you get a sense of, of the excitement of the children of Israel as they have just experienced that miraculous deliverance after uh, decades and decades and even hundreds of years of Egyptian bondage. They sang... They saying, Thou shalt bring them in, speaking of Israel, and plant them in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The land of Canaan itself was to be a sanctuary for these Jewish people, a place where God would meet with them, and he promised them that he would establish a place, a location specifically where they would bring their offerings and sacrifices and where God would meet with them. And that was uh, to be established uh, quite soon, actually. Well, Moses sang, so did his uh, sister Miriam. And you heard that. She said, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. They taught those Jewish people, perhaps three million strong, uh, to sing these songs uh, of jubilation and of celebration for the great work that God had done. But now, three days later, is where we find them in a dry place. From that jubilation to the bitter murmuring of Mara. They accuse Moses 
He was the problem. They should have stayed in the land of Egypt and died there rather than go through the rigors of the wilderness and die now here by the hands of the Egyptian army or of thirst. But their problem wasn't Moses. Their problem was with God. Moses prayed. He did what they should have done. He prayed unto the Lord. And God showed him a tree to cast into those bitter waters, and they were made sweet. Well, it's something about adversity, hardship. Those uh, elements have a way of revealing to us uh, what we're made of. Paul said that to the church at Corinth. Every man's work will be tried. It will be tried by fire, and it will be revealed what sort it is. We thank God that he is faithful to reveal to us uh, what uh, sort it is so we can uh, take action. Well, the waters were made sweet there at at Marah, but the people remained weak as we see by their subsequent murmuring and complaining throughout the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But God gave them a promise, a conditional promise, that if they would here, if they would hearken and do what God said to do, that uh, he would spare them from all those uh, diseases of Egypt. We have a a conditional promise as well. We can't uh, be assured that we'll be spared from illness and always feel uh, robust and energetic. But if we hearken and do what God says we ought to do, we do have the promise that we can uh, flourish spiritually. We're on a journey of a different sort. It began by what transpired on Calvary and by the fact that we seized the opportunity once we understood that Jesus paid the price for our redemption. We took action And God's mercy was extended to us. And at that point, we embarked upon a spiritual journey. Like Abraham of old, we we don't know where that journey will lead, except in the end, it will lead to heaven. Abraham even looked for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We we look for such a, a city as well. We recognize that we're pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land. Our eyes are fixed on heaven. Some would call the city of Portland a wilderness. I wouldn't argue with that. Some move away. I wouldn't argue with that altogether. But we're looking for a better country. Where are you going to go? There's not another place on the planet that compares to what we see up ahead. That's our destination. In the meantime, where it's the darkest, the light shines the brightest. So we we let our light shine. Our journey includes God-sent experiences, both bitter and sweet. It's kind of like when we repeated or said I do to our marriage vows, we heard that life is sometimes better and sometimes not so better, however it was characterized. But 
we have a determination to serve God and to honor our spouses if we are married. But we begin with our experience rooted in Calvary or what happened at Calvary. We sing about Calvary, but there's no virtue in the mountain. The virtue is in what happened on that mountain where Jesus shed his blood for your sins and mine and extended his grace to you and to me. We're committed to him. No matter what our journey brings to us. And we, we know that these God-ordained experiences are designed so that sweetness will emerge from experiences that we may deem on the surface to be bitter. But our response to any experience is up to us. It's a personal choice. So we uh, choose to benefit from whatever God uh, sends our way. It's a good journey, and we're headed to a good land, a better land. So it's a, a land and a goal worth uh, pursuing. The gospel oasis stands in contrast to the world's mirage. We know most common in the desert, uh, mirages are seen. Actually, they're not. They are illusions of something that we think exists that doesn't exist at all. And you can even see it driving down the freeway on a very hot day. Uh, Looking up ahead, you'll see what appears to be uh, water, if you let your imagination strain a bit. But in the desert, uh, wilderness, individuals traveling, uh, hot and weary, can see out ahead what appears to be a lake, water. And so they relentlessly expend all of their energy to get to that, but never arrive there. It's a mirage. It's a picture of what the enemy of our soul does to us, who promises what does not exist and uh, promises what he cannot deliver. Well, the Gospels, uh, no mirage. The the gospel is reality, and it's something that we can lay hold of and see that it will sustain us uh, through life. There's no evidence that uh, that the source of this oasis could be seen. And like an oasis, Jesus offers an unseen source to us from which we can draw. We see that with the woman at the well where Jesus told her after she, after he said to her, give me to drink. And she was amazed that he would have a dealing with her because the Jews had no dealings uh, with Samaritans. So Jesus told her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink, thou would have wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman replied, You have nothing to draw with, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? And Jesus replied to her, 
Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. This water that Jesus offered is offered to us as well. And hopefully our response is the same as the Samaritan woman's response when she said, Sir, give me this water. We notice a few things in those few excerpts I read from John chapter 4. One is that this source is a gift of God. Jesus had said, If thou knowest the gift of God, so it is freely offered and freely given. We notice that it's living water as opposed to dead or stagnant uh, water. What the woman had in mind was something that would quench her thirst, but what Jesus had in mind was something that would satisfy her soul. She had been going through a wilderness as well as going through five husbands. And the one she now had was not her husband. Jesus told her and told her everything in her words that she had ever done. That's what she told the people in the city when she went back to them, come see this man. She was excited. And they came and they saw and heard, no doubt, the same offer extended to them and took advantage of it and told her, now we believe not because of what you have told us, but, but, but because we have seen and heard and we assume experienced it ourselves. We also notice that this water that Jesus offers runs deep. She said that, the well is deep. Well, we don't need a bucket for what Jesus offers because he designs that it springs from within us. We don't need an oasis, a a visible source. When Jesus provides what is invisible to others and even to ourselves, After all, even if we view this as an oasis, and we do, and these altars as an oasis, this entire sanctuary as an oasis, the prayer room or the the places at home where we uh, drop to our knees and worship the Lord, the fact of the matter is, is we're not always here and we're not always there. We travel about. So uh, this is an oasis you can take with you. This unseen source is something that can always be present. Continuing in the Gospel of John, where they assembled at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that was uh, the feast that was required by the... uh, Israel males to attend one of the three feasts in the year uh, where they would erect in this one uh, temporary booths or tabernacles to uh, honor, commemorate, or remember what uh, they had experienced in their wanderings in the wilderness. 
And just as they heard the word of the Lord in the wilderness, they rehearsed the the word of the Lord during this time of convocation. I wonder if one of the things they rehearsed was this Elam experience where the children of Israel murmured and complained about the bitter waters, but then were reminded that those waters were made sweet and they continued to journey until they came to a spot in the wilderness, in that desert where there were 12 wells of water, perhaps one for every tribe, and 70 palm trees, perhaps one for every elder. But they would have had to share. Those wells, they must have been amazing. If the children of Israel numbered 3 million, and they were all thirsty, perhaps they were able to tap into that source, and just as Moses smote the rock, and from the rock, waters gushed out like rivers. Well, either way, as they heard and rehearsed the history of the children of Israel, Jesus on that last day, that great day of the feast, he stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He goes on to, the word goes on to say, This spake he of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, who was not yet given yet, because Jesus had not yet ascended into heaven, but he promised upon his ascension that he would send the Comforter that would be their guide and ours, just as the children of Israel were guided by that pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night, we can be guided by the Holy Ghost. So he said, come unto me out of your belly, from within you. There's that unseen source again. That that reminds me of years ago, attending the university there in Corvallis, where I had just recently been saved and gone to a camp meeting and been sanctified and understood the necessity of being baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. And so there in that wilderness, academic environment, I found a place of refuge. And that place of refuge was that basement apartment, one room where I lived during that term. And I spent more time seeking the Lord than uh, studying, you can do both. You can work and seek the Lord. You can be a homemaker and simultaneously seek the Lord relentlessly and desperately, and God will hear your prayer. You don't need a sabbatical to step away from life. No, God, God put us in life but we can be uh, captivated by uh, such a desperate hunger for God that that it will drive us uh, to that unseen source. And uh, that's what what happened to me. And I could count by the time 
after the turn of the year, that same year, when I was baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, I, I realized and could count five different times uh, where uh, the power of God had come down and he had really uh, filled me if I would have accepted and, and believed and to the point where that January night uh, I could point back one time after another and, and tell the Lord uh, how he had come down and indeed out of my belly had flown uh, rivers of living water and told the Lord, uh, just send that current one more time. And he did. It was a peaceful current. I thought I was in the basement of that uh, Roseburg church praying by myself on one other person. Uh, but when I got up from that prayer meeting, I looked around and there must have been 30 people in that basement. David in the 63rd Psalm, must have been wishing for a, an Elam-like experience when he, he said, uh, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That's the prime place for an oasis. When you're grind, going through a dry place, when you're going by feeling rather than faith. Why, let your faith lift up and realize you have just entered into an oasis. You just need to draw from that unseen source. When is the last time you tapped into it? When is the last time you uh, had an experience where your soul was refreshed? Well, I don't know when the last time was, but I know when the next time can be. And that would be presently. That would be here as we uh, sing this invitation song. You're going to have an opportunity, and you have an opportunity to come uh, to the place of prayer. And we don't uh, look to the, uh, the altar. This, this source is invisible. We look, look to the one who cannot be seen and ask God to uh, send that a current that graceful, smooth, mighty, and powerful current uh, through our souls and up from within our souls. God will do it. He'll honor his word. Let's stand and sing this song of invitation. We encourage you to pray.